Ah! Oh god! Ah! Oh no! Ah! Oh no! Okay, goodbye. Fuck it! We're going! No! Okay, fuck it! Go! Hey! What's up, everybody? <laughs> uh, I'm Steven. I'm Kitty. Uh, welcome to another strange podcast. That was that was weird. Okay, I didn't. I was listening to your message, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in, and and uh, you hopped in while I was in the middle of listening to that message, and then you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, but I'm we're sorry. we're good. No, it's okay. <laughs> How how are you? I'm great. How are you? No, are, are you lying to me? No. Sounds like you're lying. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm I'm doing okay. Like uh, what? Like O and then K or O K A Y? O K A Y. All right, that's good. Like it like it's going smoothly. Um. I, I figured out that if you if you respond to somebody saying I'm all right and you say are you lying to me usually it throws them off their like rhythm and they're like ah uh, it's weird it's a it's a nice way to get somebody to um lie to your face I enjoy it oh man I oh <laughs> well, yeah, you got me there <laughs> yeah good I also got a um a uh, food city. Uh, I got a cashier guy to do that once. Um, it was his first day on the job, and you could kind of notice. So when he was like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm good. How are you? He goes, I'm all right. And then I said, are, are you lying to me? And, he, and he's like, what? I'm like, you look nervous. And he goes, yeah, dude, it's my first day on the job. And, like, uh, you know, I've never been a cashier before. And, like, trying to remember all these, like, produce skews. It's really intimidating. I'm like, dude, it's all right. Just, like, take a breath. You'll be fine. Sorry, right. and he—he, I, he, I looked like he lightened up after that. I was, I was happy for him. Aww. Poor dude. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this isn't a podcast about feelings. What are those? <laughs> that shit sucks, <laughs> right? This is a podcast about about devil shit. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, the devil in music, to be precise. You know the the whole satanic worship type thing of of conservative christians not listening to like stained because it thinks that it's it's too hard for the church and that the devil influenced them to make that music this is that it's got a good but it's got a good taste stained fuck yeah stained's really good (laughs) i don't know why a lot of people like take a shit on them just because they they only know one song just like me i think that one song's amazing right but uh, i know a lot of one songs from one people that really don't aren't relevant anymore but that's okay i did research on composers and you did john- Jimi hendrix robert johnson yes and then Jimi hendrix and who else and a little bit of brian jones who the fuck all right you're gonna have to you're i don't know who brian jones is that's a very that's a very generic name for a human being <laughs> and it's also a first name name in both names so um I'm I'm a little skeptical, but uh, do you want me to start or do you want to? Start? I would love if you started. You want me to yes. start? Fuck! All right, let's go. So, before we get into any of this, uh, I want to clear up a very important concept. That's that's like um, it's it's a music theory thing, and because I was a, bi- a violinist for ten years, R.I.P. to my first passion. I loved it so much. Ten years into my a violinist i was introduced to the to the music theory sides of things because i was finally able to understand music in terms of more than just it being music like the technical sides of it so there's a thing called the diablos in musica which is like the devil it's it's called the devil in music and it's the devil's interval and it's a tritone and what a tritone is, it's it's an imperfect interval. So it's like a it's like a diminished fifth or an augmented fourth if you know how to play a guitar or a piano or any instrument. But for people who don't understand what that means, it it's basically instead of instead of a whole a whole step to a natural note in a five chord, it goes a half step. So it instead of going one, two, three, four, and then five landing on that five that's a natural tone that's that's perfect it's it's harmonic and it sounds nice 
but a tritone goes one half step below that. So it, it's it's imperfect and it sounds incomplete. And it's it's the it's it's the force that drives a song to completion. That's what the Devil's Interval is, and it was actually banned from the Catholic Church in in choirs because the the composers and the choir thought that it was it was such a demonic sounding tone, and it wasn't fit to worship God. So for the longest time, it was just banned in the church, and they didn't use it, which is why a lot of the composers, all three, including more. <laughs> Um, their music was banned from the church, but that's not the only reason why people thought that these three guys that I'm going to mention had packs with the devil in some form and made the music that they did. So the first guy, I came across most most of his music years ago. His name is uh, Giuseppe Tartini, and he was born April 8th, 1692, and died February 26th, 1770. That's my Thea's birthday, not the year, but the, <laughs> but the, the month and day. Uh, he was born into an aristocratic family, and he didn't pick up the violin until later in life when his father passed away. And he attended the University of Padua and studied law and married a woman of the church, uh, a woman who was so favored by the Cardinal Giorgio Gornaro that he was swiftly charged with abduction and they fled Padua together to go to a monastery in Asazi, Italy. Ooh. And here he actually picked up the violin at age 24. He locked himself in monastery chambers for hours on end. This is pretty much how his day went. He woke up, locked himself in a fucking room with the violin, and he just practiced and, and taught himself how to play. And in five years, he was actually crowned the Maestro de Capella, or the Master of Music, for the Basilica of San Antonio in Padua, which is a city that he fled. So imagine the look on the Cardinal's face when Homeboy fucking shows up like, hey, uh, I married your favorite girl, but also you can't touch me because the whole church loves me because I make great sounding tunes. <laughs> What a what a fucking flex. That's the hardest flex. But uh, <laughs> that is that is that's pretty fucking hard. You take the dude's girl and you show up with funky beats. That's fucking dope. Cool. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> somehow um, he ended up making a contract with the with the Basilica that it allowed Tartini to play anywhere he wanted. Uh, a lot of times during these years each church would have their own designated composer or musician that would write music for the church and that church only so anytime you would have someone who would travel around to the church it was kind of frowned upon but you can't hold the guy down he's a free bird he's meant to fly and he ended up traveling all over europe he also somehow which i barely learned doing this he was the very first reported owner of a Stradivarius violin. Not that he was the only, like the first person in history to own one, but he's the first reported well-known musician to own one. And um, do, do you know anything about the Stradivarius violin? I've heard it, heard of it, maybe a music class forever ago, but I know they're oh, yeah. not common. No, ma'am, they are not. They, uh, there's fewer than 650 in the world. The highest ended up selling for, I think, around $5 million. Holy mama. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, his, his, like, his Stradivarius, it, it, he, he handed it down to, to, like, his pupil, and then his pupil handed it down, and, and so on and so forth. And eventually, it became widely known as the most well-preserved and well-kept, intact Stradivarius in existence. And that was the one that sold for $5 million. Oh, my goodness. It is a beautiful violin. And it was made between 1700 and 1720. To this day, they're, they're known to be in construction and the way it sounds like the tippy-top of what a violin should sound. No one knows how they achieved it. A lot of people say that it was the the varnish that they put on the wood. A lot of people say that it, it's it's the wood and where they harvested it and when they harvested it and what mountains and when. And it's it's very complicated, but no one's been able to recreate it ever. And because 
because Europe is just a war-torn continent. <laughs> just a, a lot of them were lost. So no, no one knows about how to recreate it. It's never been done. Anyway, I could talk about that for fucking hours, obviously. But I'm not going to. Uh, so <laughs> uh, Tartini was uh, notorious for never dating his compositions. So scholars and music historians kind of hate him. Uh, they don't know exact dates for his pieces and when they were released. But they do know the exact year of one particular piece titled The Devil's Trill. And here's Tartini explaining the creation of a 15-minute solo violin sonata in his own words. One night in the year of 1713, I dreamed that I had made a pact with the devil for my soul. Everything went as I wished. My new servant anticipated every desire, among other things. I gave him my violin to see if he could play. How great was my astonishment on hearing a sonata so wonderful and so beautiful, played with such great art and intelligence, as I had never conceived in my boldest flights of fancy. I felt entrapped, transported, enchanted. My breath failed me, and I awoke. I immediately grasped my violin in order to retain, in part at least, the impression of my dream. In vain! The music which I at this time composed is indeed the best that I ever wrote, and I still call it the Devil's Trill, but the difference between it and that which so moved me so great that I would have destroyed my instrument and have said farewell to music forever if it had been possible for me to live without the enjoyment it affords me. So Homeboy had a fever dream, and he woke up and was like, God damn. I gotta write this down. And he he did. And you know what? Let's just fucking listen to it right now. Right now. That's easy. Okay, so <laughs> thankfully I can play that because uh, it's not copyrighted, so you can't get me, bitch. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad that I can play these songs. Oh my god, it's uh, the the benefits of public domain. They are they're perfect. I can honestly say that I've never heard so many trills in a classical piece before. And basically, what a trill is. It's when you play uh, one note after another in quick succession, like it's 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 a weird like like you know you know how hammer-ons and hammer-offs work on a guitar mm -hmm. where you like it's it's that, but it's 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 fast and this is just fucking riddled with them. It's it's pretty hard by today's standards. Not many people know how to do it. He lived to the age of seventy-eight, which is. It's, a, it's an upside compared to all the other people that you hear about making deals with the devil. They kind of die really early. <laughs> but homeboy lived, homeboy lived a pretty long life, especially for his time. You know, people usually just died of a cough, but <laughs> he managed to avoid it. Who's to say in his long life that that wasn't one of the deals that he made? Hey, Satan, listen, I appreciate you. You're a cool dude. Let me learn how to play this, but also don't kill me in five years. That would be great. <laughs> Don't give me any coughs, please. Make me immune. That's all I ask. Yeah, to to all the coughs, to all the <laughs> coughs, and all the itches, and and all the all the weird people wandering the streets with like hands outreached for money or shekels or whatever they had in Italy at that time. That's Tartini. Who who do you got? We'll we'll do a back and forth thing. How about that? Like I go, then you go, then I go, then you go. All right, sounds good. Hell yeah. Learn me some knowledge. So I got Robert Johnson, born May 8th, 1911, passed away August 16th, 1938. Oh, look mm. at that. The anniversary of his death is coming up. I should do something we for that. We should do something. That would be cool. We could uh, play a bunch of blues. 
Brooks. He was a blues guitarist, singer, songwriter. He also played uh, the harmonica and he did vocals. Harmonica is nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I had one growing up just to like, you know, whatever. I was like five. I didn't know what I was doing, but it was difficult and I struggled mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. I also had one. I took it to middle school plenty of times and I played prison music. <laughs> what? That is Yeah, cool. it was it was like uh it it was terribly played, but it was the right notes and I would just sit there in the morning and just blow on the bitch. And it, it's it was fun for me. I enjoyed it, but I never I never got seriously into it. I bought it. No, my mom bought it for me at a uh, Cracker Barrel. Oh, I've never been to one. What? I know. I. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna yeah we're gonna fuck it we're gonna take you to a Cracker Barrel sometime. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that sounds great. So yeah, so fucking. Just, all right, I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. Keep going. Oh no, it's fine. This is great. <laughs> um... <laughs> He was recognized as the master of blues, particularly uh, Delta blues style. And uh, he started off as a traveling performer and played street corners and like Saturday night dances and stuff. He was so big. Like then he it was a made the main influence for uh, Bob Dylan and Robert Plant. And they both cite Johnson's lyrics and musicianship as uh, influences on their own work. Which is pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. how, like, big and influential you have to be to, like, whoa, like, I inspired all these other people to play what they play and how they play. Like, that's that's really cool. Yeah, especially Led Zeppelin. Yeah, absolutely. Holy <laughs> shit. Th- their, first, their first two albums are just covers of every sort of, like, not well-known blues artist. I have a lot of things to say about Led Zeppelin that aren't nice, but I love their music. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> I'm so oh, no, sorry. No, 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 no keep no, no. going. Oh, God. <laughs> um, Johnson was in, inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, in its first introduction ceremony in 1986 as an early influence and was awarded a post-human Grammy in 1991 and the Lifetime Achievement Award in 2006. So, holy crap. That, yeah, those are some huge awards. He was... He was round one in the in the Rock and Roll Hall mm-hmm. of Fame, like first. Mm-hmm. It's fucking dope. Imagine that's badass. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, my music was so influential that I am the first inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I love this guy. Yeah, he's fucking great. Give me sadly more. part of the Twenty Seven Club. The infamous Twenty Seven yeah, Club. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. It's a bit. It's a huge list too. I only know like three or four people. I about like three or four as well, but you know, it's it's. It's crazy. Yeah, you did the research on it, you know, much more than I do. I did a tiny bit. But yes, I did. I did a lot, mostly on this guy, which is like the, I want to say the key, but he is a huge part in all of this. Mm -hmm. He learned styles like Isaiah Ike Zimmerman, and who was rumored to have learned supernaturally to play guitar by visiting graveyards at midnight. That's fucking cool. Spooky. That <laughs> that's is, so badass. That is super cool. And that's around the time where people are like, yo, you're getting better at this. Like, hmm. Like, you go practice in the graveyards at midnight and you come back to town and you play better than you did the day before. So, yeah, very suspicious. Very suspicious. But it was also the time where people were like, hmm. The devil this, the devil that. The devil's responsible for all this. You know, you see that cloud over there? That's the devil's work, <laughs> I think. Oh, you mean like the same thing people have been saying since the beginning of everything? Absolutely, yes. yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> that That is exactly how people... Yep. Yeah, exactly. But So I think that... So he was playing in, in graveyards in the middle of the fucking night. Who's to say that that's the only place where he got any peace and quiet? Exactly. I was thinking that, too, because you don't want to wake people sleeping, especially that time. Uh You know, the walls and windows aren't as soundproof. So where the hell else are you going to go? (laughs) The graveyard. It's fucking plywood. They won't mind. (laughs) No. If anything, they'd enjoy it. Like, oh, yes, finally, something other than the sound of fucking dirt. Right. Uh, (laughs) Like bugs in my ears. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Surprised that isn't a track on one of his albums, oh Bugs and Oh, ears. man. <laughs> but 
Uh, there is also a different legend. Legend has it that Johnson took his guitar to the crossroads of highways 49 and 61 in the Clarksdale, Mississippi, where the devil returned his instrument in exchange for his soul. So there's mm. a bunch of little like, hey, maybe this happened. Hey, maybe that happened. Legends and rumors. So regardless, he was a pretty badass guy, which was a huge influence on huge bands that we love and know today so this guy started a whole a whole thing a whole crazy thing and not many people i think don't know about him i didn't even know about this guy until i researched him so <gasps> what what yeah god damn really? yeah i had no idea who this guy was but oh i know man. i feel like a terrible person but i I no, learned. don't. You know now. Now I know. He only did two recording sessions throughout his whole life. What? Yeah, he did uh, two, like, uh, I think 20, 20 song sessions. Only two. So this guy just, like, ripped through it. He played and played and played, only recorded twice, and did so many songs. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. That is using your, 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 your booth time wisely. Yeah, he was pretty badass. Maybe he knew that his time was running up. Think so? Maybe he was like, damn, I get, probably. I mean, if you listen to his music, it's like uh, Hellhounds on my tail, uh, the devil and and me and all this other shit. And if he's knocking out songs in two recordings and he only had like, I think, what, two albums? Probably. I think he knew that something was coming for him. Ooh, you bring up good points. That's the, it's the sign of a of a man who's desperate to to leave his mark. That is all I got so far. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did I did some I back back in the day when I when I first got introduced to Robert Johnson. I, I dug into his music and I and I learned almost everything that I could that was about like other theories as to why he was so good at doing what he did. He he also kind of uh, when he got married the first time, he ended up kind of leaving his girl and and went to go fuck off in Georgia for like a minute. <laughs> and when he came back from Georgia, he, he knew how to play guitar. But apparently, while he was in Georgia, he got music lessons from a blues player there. He came back and he started playing there. But he was like, "Damn, where did you learn how to play like this?" And that was the whole like dealings with the devil shit like that. Mm -hmm. But also. He suffered from Marfan's syndrome, which it elongates the fingers. Um, a lot of really good piano players have this. It it's it just it it makes the fingers longer than than they naturally are. It, if you look them up, you'll see how how long these fingers are. They're they're long and lanky, and they kind of look something like the something the Slender Man would have if you ever like read into the Slender Man lore. <laughs> uh, him, as well as the, the next guy that I'm going to talk about, uh, Niccolo Paganini, he also suffered from Marfan syndrome, which is why he was so good at playing the violin. He could reach, it's I believe it's in third position, and that, you got to stretch. For normal people, you would have to shift your hand uh, up the neck in order to reach the first note of of uh, uh, second position, but he could just reach his pinky over and start playing it. And oh, man. yeah, so Robert Johnson, same same thing. He had with with his long, lanky fingers, he was able to wrap his thumb around the top of the guitar to reach bottom E note. That's why a lot of people that would watch, listen to his concerts, they they'd say like, it sounds like there are two people playing the guitar. And and when people said that, they implied, like, maybe it's also the devil that's behind him that's Ooh. helping him play. And it's just it's just the case of long fucking fingers. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that that's what I think. You look at photos of this dude. I and am they're, looking at one right now. That is yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Wowzers. They're I mean, maybe. Mm hmm. Could have been a little bit of both. Long could have been. The devil was guiding him. Maybe. I yeah. Found... The devil probably said, "Bro, you're good at this. Let me uh, let me make it a little bit better." <laughs> like you're good, but let me uh, let me do my thing. I found uh, about him. 
recording only two sessions. He participated in only two recording sessions, one in San Antonio in 1936 and one in Dallas, 1937, that produced 29 distinct songs with 13 surviving alternative takes. They were recorded in famed, oh, excuse me, recorded by famed Country Music Hall of Fame producer Don Law. Yeah, so... Don't know who Don Law is. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but he's a Country Music Hall of Fame producer. <laughs> I have never. Shit, maybe I should know who he is. <laughs> maybe we should, but <laughs> that is pretty, pretty wild. Only two recording sessions, 29 songs, 13 surviving alternative takes. That is a lot. You know, back then music was recorded onto vinyl. Mm-hmm. After his death, they, he, he, was, he was supposed to play a concert after he, he passed away. By passed away, I mean murdered. Oh, if you yeah if he got into uh the reason why he died it was actually he, he was poisoned by a jealous by a jealous boyfriend of a bartender of one of the clubs that he used to frequent while he was dying he was laying on the floor saying i see hellhounds coming uh, no yeah that is what he said those are his words or oh. allegedly those are his words who knows i'd like to think that they are Ooh. but <laughs> My original point was, <laughs> after he had died, his music was already reaching a point of popularity where he would, he was able to travel and play these large venues. One of the venues that he was going to play in, I believe it was in Nashville, it, it was a sold-out show. It, it was people that were waiting to hear Robert Johnson play. And instead of him coming out, what they did was they put a, uh, they put a record player on on a stool and it had one of his recordings on there and it played through the entire record and after it finished recording and you could just hear the scratches of the record at the end it it was like a standing ovation people were just like what is this and it's it's very heartbreaking to know that he wasn't able to enjoy that Uh... it's like you don't know the impact of your music sadly until after you're gone yes but if if you're lucky you get to enjoy it while you're alive ouch huh damn that made me sad yeah i didn't come on here to to feel and to cry uh, oh well you're feeling it feeling but uh maybe i can make you happier with this new guy the paganini dude he's a he's a real rock star you might like him he had me at Rockstar. Probably not. No, he, not. he's a womanizing no. piece of shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. No. Big red flag. <laughs> Let's have it. <laughs> oh, the, mm-hmm, the biggest of red flags. All right. So uh, <laughs> th- this dude is this dude should have been a fucking Motley crew. So uh, <laughs> then uh, this next guy, his name was Nicolo Paganini, born October 27th, 1782 in Genoa, Italy. Uh, so little homeboy started playing the violin at seven years old. Ooh. And before that, he played the nerdiest of all instruments, the fucking mandolin. What a loser. But he ditched it for the violin, so that's good. Uh, he started doing solo tours around Europe by the age of 15. And it was rumored that his own mother sold his soul to Satan mm-hmm. after giving birth to him so that he could grow up and be the greatest virtuoso in history. Well, that's not that bad. I mean, she was looking out for him. Kind of, you know, in a way. It's like your mom stealing your identity to take out a loan on an RV. For you, when you grow up, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> like, it's, I guess. It's just, like she's doing it, and that's not cool, but she's doing it for you because she cares. So that's kind of, it's, uh... yeah, it's like, <laughs> hey, I took out this RV when you were born on credit that you didn't have. By the way, you owe $34,000 on this RV. So instead of giving you Christmas presents, I'm just going to make down payments on this RV. Thanks. You're welcome. Oh, yeah. See, that's 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 had me in the first half. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it's a... yeah, see, it's a bad move. Never let your mom sell your soul to the devil. Fucking ever. It's a bad idea. Oh, shit. I, I don't. I think it's too late for that. But uh, please continue. I'd love to hear more of this. No, I mean, <laughs> if it did, it's fine because he turned out to be a real piece of shit. Oh, boy. And he, at, at such a young age, he was boozing and gambling and he was smacking women around. Like I said, 
Rockstar. It was also rumored, and this is some dark shit that I didn't know about. I knew about this dude, but not this. It was rumored that Paganini had murdered a woman and used her intestines as violin strings and imprisoned her soul within the instrument. And when he would play, women's screams could be heard from the violin when he was on stage. That's fucking brutal. But also, weirdly, kind of dope. But, uh, right, yeah. Just I just imagine, like, this cool-ass violin with, like, uh, like you know, guts and strings. And that's that's some, that's really cool. I hear that's it. A, that's a murder in the Hannibal series. Is it? Yes, Hannibal series on Netflix. So Hannibal Lecter, this... This is a tangent. Uh, Hannibal Lecter. It's like a it's like a prequel. This is early Hannibal before he ended up in in fucking FBI prison. Mm-hmm. He was uh, helping solve murder cases. At, he was a professor at college, I believe. And one of the murders that he was helping to solve involved a. It was a corpse of a man on a stage in a concert hall, and he had his throat slit, pinned back to his, his neck. And from from the inside of his mouth, down his throat into his esophagus, were the cords of a cello, or, or the strings of a cello. Whoa. And you could see them through his throat. It is the coolest fucking image ever that I've seen, weirdly. I want to draw it, but it, it is brutal sounding. But yeah, this is this is very much like that, except he's playing the instrument. And it's women's intestines. That's so cool. I I hear Nathan from Metalocalypse in my head saying, brutal. Very much so. I wonder, uh, sometimes I wonder if people know these little, these little snippets of, of history. Just because they're, they're so outlandish that it's, it feels like it should be something that should be widely known. Like, this motherfucker used women's entrails for strings. Then again, it was just a rumor. So That's a hardcore rumor, though. Like, you don't. I'm on the fence. It's like, whoa, if it's true, like, whoa, but like, whoa, <laughs> you know, <it's... laughs> yeah, whoa. But uh, his uh, his whole uh, devil dealings with his mom, they kind of started showing up later in life. He was the only musician at the time who started touring and playing his music without sight reading the sheet music for it. He would memorize everything. Whoa, he was a tall. Thin motherfucker, long fingers, like I said, Marfan syndrome, and uh, it, it allowed him to play three octaves with a single hand position on the violin, and he clocked in at playing twelve notes in a single second, which I uh, believe it's a record that hadn't been beaten until recently, when someone ended up playing his song that he's most well known for, which is Caprice Number Twenty Four. And fucking here it is. combination of him being a tall lengthy dude and and dressed in black um with an impressive playing ability as you heard fucking right there with my amazing editing skills um it convinced the crowd that he may have been the devil himself like some would watch his concerts and they would claim that they would see the devil behind him from the stage uh he ended up dying of larynx cancer in uh it's I guess it's called Nice, France, or Nice, France. Who knows? Nothing about France is nice. That's right. I said it. I'm sorry. France is a terrible uh, place. Oh, they're fries. Uh, the fries are probably Jesus bomb. fucking Christ. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what? They probably are, Kitty. That's a, <laughs> a wonderful observation. Thank you. Very, Thank you. Very sharp. It's, it's a, <laughs> goddamn, so good. Oh God! Oh God! I should just end it right now. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he uh, 
but um, before his death, he ended up turning away the priest that offered him his last rites. He said that he didn't think that he was going to die on his on his deathbed. He was like, you know what? Nah, I ain't going to die. And then all of a sudden, eh, oh, fucking man. gone. <laughs> it was it's like people people heard that and they were like, you know what? Maybe he did have deals with the devil. No one ever thought that maybe he just didn't think that he was going to die. Hmm. It's like, you know, the confidence of a rock star. I'm going to do all of this fucking cocaine and nothing is going to happen to me. <laughs> then before you know it, <laughs> done. <laughs> that noise, just that noise. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the final thing you hear. If you hear that noise ever in the wild, you know that a rock star somewhere has just fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> Out of here. Unless unless you're Ozzy Osbourne, you're going to live forever. Oh, absolutely. Huh. I oh, love Ozzy Osbourne, man. That would have been a good one. That could be one. Mm -hmm. I feel he, Ozzy Osbourne is one of the uh, he's one of the most popular Christian artists in the world. That is a controversial statement. How am I so controversial but so brave? Yeah, that's I. I believe it. Yeah, I. Um... Yeah, it turns your world upside down. Just because it's called Black Sabbath doesn't mean it's dark shit. He talks a lot about like uh, the battle between good and evil, and that eventually, if you listen to his lyrics, eventually evil will prevail. I mean, not evil, good. I have a, good a song in my head eventually. from him. It's the Mama, I'm Coming Home. <laughs> Changes is my favorite. He's a cool guy. He is. Goddamn, I love Ozzy Osbourne. He's coming out with a paranormal show. Is he really? Yes. It starts t tomorrow or next Sunday. Didn't, I'm not didn't sure. he do like a song with Post Malone last year? He did. Yes, very good song. I own it. I think I remember seeing everybody on social media like, who the hell is this guy? Who is Ozzy? Like, Posty made him famous. And I just, oh, the, yes. the cringe, I was like, oh, man. Like, I guess everybody does come from a different era from, you know, Ozzy. <laughs> yeah, so, but also. That's understandable. But they're getting introduced to his music, which is nice. Yeah, that's absolutely great like hey look i'd rather have i'd rather have people not know who he is and then find out who he is through a post malone song than just go their entire lives not knowing who he is because he deserves it he's done a lot in his life he's done a lot he has his weird freaky hands in everything <laughs> also ate a bat didn't think that it was a bat but it was a real bat it was real it was real yeah i, w I wonder if it yeah was it crunchy I'm sure it was. That's what made him realize it at first when he ate it. Oh, the did, crunch. Like, he, he chewed it and he's like, whoa, this isn't a gummy rat or a gummy uh, bat. Like a plastic. And then he looked at it and it was a real, it was, yeah, it was a real fucking bat. Someone snuck into the concert venue with a bat in their pocket and was like, I'm going to go to the front of the stage and I'm going to toss this at Ozzy and see what he does. And he fucking ate it. You don't carry bats in your pocket? You do? You don't. Oh. I can fucking end Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know what? I'm done. Your your turn. <laughs> no, please continue. <laughs> no, this this is what you get for for making it seem like I'm a bad person for not carrying bats. I'm in a my terrible pocket. person just for fucking... carrying bats in my nope, pocket. Just, nope. You you like dead things and you turn them into art. That is I, understandable. I, I am do, not you. You but do. I don't... I don't crunch bats. <laughs> Maybe just... you should start. Oh, no, no. That's terrible. Like things when you bite into them that aren't supposed to be crunchy and then somehow they're crunchy. Just, you know, it's it throws you off. It's not it. It's not what you're expecting. Like, hey, this is this ice cream is really crunchy and there's no crunchies in this vanilla soft serve <laughs> you know this is not soft serve this is crunch crunchy serve. Serve. what the fuck is this i'm not even to Get the tone yet <laughs> what? What? something's wrong you open it up it's a fucking bat it's like ah god damn it oh yeah that, that's right i forget I'm in a rural place in fucking Indonesia that feeds on bats. Whoops. <laughs> and that's how the coronavirus started. Oh, no. Bats, man. Anyway, yeah, bats, man. Batman. Your turn. <laughs> fucking read your shit, kitty. Let's, let, let's, let's learn some more shit. 
I don't <laughs> I don't have much as much as you did, but I have some. I'll take what I can get. Okay. It's not much, but I will milk it for all it's worth. I'm going to try my best. So, up next we have Lewis Brian Hopkins Jones, born February 28th, 1942. Passed away July 1969. <laughs> part of the part of, date redacted. Part of the uh, 27 Club as well. He was the founder of the Rolling Stones. And uh, oh, he started off uh, doing slide guitar, and he played so many instruments. He played rhythm and lead guitar, piano, the marim marimba mar mar blah 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 marimba. <laughs> Don't even ask me. Never fucking heard of it. All right. I know it's strings. I think. I hope. Oh, okay. That narrows it down to uh, like 80 instruments. You know, I don't even know if it's strings, but it's it's in the instrument category. Uh, he did harmonica, uh, recorders, sax, drums, vocals, and just a bunch of other things I cannot pronounce, which is really cool because if you could play Damn. An, in- an instrument that you can't pronounce or pronounce correctly, more props to you because holy shit. If I can't pronounce it, I'm pretty sure I can't play it. So that's Hell yeah. super badass already. <laughs> There, there's nothing like having a, a talent in an obscure instrument that no one can pronounce that will make you the cream of the crop. Right. Like that just adds to your cool point. It's like, yeah, man, I could play the whatever. And it's like, what, bro? Like, what did you say? Yeah, let me show you. And they like, you know, play the instrument all crazy. And it's just like double points. Like, whoa, you knocked my socks off. It depends on who you surround yourself with. This is true. It, you know, there's a lot of nerdy people that can play some weird obscure instruments mm, this is true be careful who you surround yourself with kids that that's the number one rule of this whole podcast <laughs> is it <laughs> i hope so i god i i hope there's some sort of positive message in any of this uh yeah yeah I, there's some some points he died <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh either the second or third of July, uh nineteen sixty-nine. That's why I didn't put a specific date because he was discovered motionless at the bottom of a swimming pool. Um Oh damn, that's yeah, his Swedish girlfriend found him. <laughs> And she was convinced they took him mm. out of the pool, like, hey, no, he's still alive. Look, there's a pulse. There's a pulse. And the doctors arrived and it was too late. He was pronounced dead on arrival at the age of 27. Also part, like I said, 27 Club taken these talented people. The coroner's report said it was a drowning, later clarified as death by a misadventure. So <laughs> misadventure to me. <laughs> What what a fucking shitty way to go. It's like, oh fuck, I had a misadventure. And I died. <laughs> I was off to go fly the fucking eagles with a wizard to a mountain and I died. That was a quite the misadventure. I took the wrong trail. <laughs> I was led on a misadventure. <laughs> that that is my death. Oh my god. What is what is that? I'm pretty sure it's drowning. <laughs> pretty sure he fucking drowned. I don't think there's 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 not much of an adventure you can have at the bottom of a pool. I mean, no, it kind of no, it doesn't depend. No, that's that's no, you can't. <laughs> Unless his Swedish girlfriend was with him down there, she probably killed him. Ah, uh, that's what I kind of think because uh, his Swedish girlfriend Anna Wolin Wolin Holin. Uh, was just trying to convince everybody, like, no, he's got a pulse. It's cool. It's cool, guys. Like, it's cool. He's, haha, you know, <laughs> like, hey, hey, he just asleep. <laughs> Oopsie. No, no, guys, he's, he's been down there for like an hour. He's just really good at holding his breath. He's fine. Like, he's the pro. He's breaking all these records right now. That was not the case. Um, when you said misadventure, and we're talking about wizards. For some reason, I just thought The Hobbit popped up in my head. Like, what is that movie? An unexpected adventure. But it's actually an unexpected journey. But you could change that to an unexpected misadventure. And the that, un- would still, unex- that would still work great. <laughs> the, 
the unexpected misadventure. I thought I was going to space. Turns out, no. <laughs> How unexpected. What an unexpected What a misadventure. misadventure. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> oh. oh, Brian Jones. You, yes. You misadventured piece of shit. <laughs> oh, man. Well... Yeah, okay. But there is also some notes in the autopsy report that his liver and heart were heavily enlarged by past drug and alcohol abuse. So he's been on plenty that makes plenty sense. of adventures. This was the one misadventure. But there is a theory. A murder theory. Oh. Bom, ba, bom, oh shit. Bom, bom. Uh, <laughs> is it the Swedish trick? Um no. What? No, that's what I thought. Upon reading all this, I'm like, it has to be like her, like she covering up for something, or maybe she has had like uh, some money coming her way, or he, she was in his will, or something. But nope. Let's see. Whoa! Can about. you hear that? It's uh, there's helicopters in the sky. That's not good. Yeah, they're coming for me. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap it up right here. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. Oh, but you want to close it after my lame jokes? Okay. Okay, I see. I mean, sure. <laughs> well, in 1993, it was reported that Jones was murdered by a secret operative in President what? Richard M. Nixon. Oh, for President Richard M. Nixon, who was doing construction work on the property. He was the last person to see Jones alive. Thorough good. Wait. He was killed by a government operative. Mm, it would That's appear to what be they so. think. And Thorogood allegedly confessed the murder to Rolling Stones driver Tom Keylock. Mm-hmm. And what did Tom say? It was apparently over a fight over money. The killing is alleged to have been covered up by senior police officers when they discovered how badly the investigation into Jones's death had been botched by the local police. So it was over money. Does that mean that he just didn't pay his taxes? I mean, because that's pretty... Like, you have a secret op. Like, hmm. Uh-oh. I think he didn't pay his taxes. Oh, shit. Pay your taxes, people. That's it, yeah. You know how, like, uh, how terrified I am of not paying taxes? Oh, I am, I am mortified. I am so scared. I take 2.7% out of my paycheck every two weeks. So I don't get, like, hit by Big Brother to say, hey, you owe us money on top of everything else you have owed us money for. You know that video game you bought? You owe us money. You know that drawing you made and sold in California? Yeah, you owe us money. You know that Al Camino you own? <laughs> yeah, you owe us money on that, too. And while you're at it, you know the gas you put in that Al Camino? You owe us money. I hate this. Taxation is theft. <laughs> yeah, every breath that you're taking right now, uh, yeah, you owe us money. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah, pollution you tax. See how many times yeah, you're blinking? Yeah. yeah, you owe us money for that too. In 2009, uh, the Sussex police decided to conduct a case review of Jones's death for the first time in 1969, if in fact we are going back to the death of Lewis Brian Hopkins Jones. The, da, mis da, da. <laughs> the misadventure <laughs> adventure yeah. the adventures of misadventures <laughs> um <laughs> after new evidence was handed to them by scott jones an investigative oh shit yeah some uh, investigative journalists who had traced many of the people who were at brian jones house the night he died the journalists also uncovered unseen police files held at the national archives in 2010 Following the review, Sussex police stated it would not be reopening the case. I feel like even with compelling evidence. Yep. Yeah, something's up. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it. Who? Who? It was Richard Nixon's uh, staff. Uh, yeah, police Se person. Secret op for President Richard M. Nixon. Nixon was a piece of shit anyway. I don't know what he had against uh, the Rolling Stones, but um, something's it's wrong. And how Ooh. many people were at his house? Probably a lot. He was a pretty popular guy. And no one saw that he was just lying at the bottom of the pool? It's like, I wow, mean, Brian's been down there a long time. Must be the cocaine. You know, it's funny you say and that. And just left him. When you said the word cocaine, I was looking at the word cocaine. Oh, shit. Synchronicities. The, the 
the sentence I just glanced at said, people thought cocaine was good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that's why they put it in a Coca-Cola. What a time to be alive. <laughs> yeah. I, I was looking at a meme. It was like, wow, in 2020, our pandemics, our, our pandemics went much worse because in 1920, they had Coke and all the soda. Yes, and I saw yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why everybody uh, got through and no one really made a big fuss about it. Probably, huh? They had uh, entertainment <laughs> without. Uh... Yeah, yeah. You got you got a headache. Here, take heroin. All right, cool. Thanks. <laughs> you got ghosts in your blood. <laughs> Do some cocaine about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that joke. I mean, it's one of my favorites. Great. <laughs> Goddamn, Brian Jones, you piece of shit. So that's it. They're like, nah, no more. We're done. Basically, like, it sounds real, like, crazy for this guy to uncover all kinds of, like, unseen files and everything and, like, to present them. Be like, hey, guys, I found all this stuff. Are you going to reopen the case since 1969? They're like, um, no. They basically said there's no new evidence to suggest that the coroner's original verdict was incorrect. That is fucking awful. But the secret op was doing construction work on the property. And the last person to see him alive. So, like, hmm, right there is like, all right, what's what's really what's really going on? Oh well, <laughs> I wanna I wanna look more into Brian Johnson. That's uh, that's weird. Uh, Brian Jones, sorry, Brian Johnson. The Brian, fuck am I talking about? I was like, wait, is that Robert's cousin? <laughs> Robert Johnson, Brian, what? A lot of names in all, his name. Yeah, oh, Lewis Brian names. Hopkins all... Johnson, Robert Jones. The second Brian Hopkins Johnson Ryan, he has a last name for a middle name, and he has three first names. <laughs> Lewis Brian Hopkins Jones. Yeah, that's a lot. What of, the fuck? That's a lot of names. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna deal with that guy anymore. No, he's dead. That's old news. <laughs> just like just like the British police said. You know what? That was in 1969. That shit's done. No more. You know, we're going to talk about my new, my, my next guy here. So Alexander Nikolaevich oh Skriabin was born on Christmas Day in 1871 and died on April 14th, 1915. He was a Russian composer and pianist. And the whole deal with this dude is that you either loved him or you hated him. Which is pretty punk rock, if you ask me. Oh, hell yeah. His complete catalog is just filled with pieces that you either really enjoy or you absolutely despise. He was born in Moscow, Russia, to a noble Russian family. His mother was actually a composer, and his father was a military guy, pretty high up in the military. That's why it was of nobility. Uh, his mother describes Stryabin as being a shy, unsociable boy, but he appreciated the attention of adults. He, he liked when people gave him praise for being like a, like a good boy. He was fascinated with the mechanisms of a piano at an early age, and he could actually build pianos, and he would give them away to house guests. Whoa, gangster! That is so badass. That's a that's a cool like what? A, also a flex. Hey, my son knows how to build pianos. You want to come over and get one <laughs> for free? He's like five years old. Anyway, his uh his mother would say another story. He would round up the local children, and he would try to get them to perform in an orchestra. When none of the kids would, like, comply, he would kind of get frustrated, and he'd run off crying. <laughs> mood. Um, poor, poor kid. <laughs> mood. Big mood. You trying to get me to play the drums, and you just gave me two sticks and a rock? What a nerd. Uh, <laughs> fucking poor guy. So, uh, in 1882, at the age of 11... He existed in the second Moscow Cadet Corps, and uh, he was the smallest and weakest among all the boys. And they would tease him because he was so small. Eventually, he would win them over after they uh, they saw him play piano at a concert that he performed. And um, throughout his years as a cadet, he would rank really high in all the academics. But because he was so small and frail, the the Cadet Corps actually exempted him from doing any of the physical training. And instead, they gave him a piano in a room where he could go practice. Oh. That's so cute. <laughs> it's like you get all these little machismo boys that would, like, throw slingshots. And he was just this little nerdy kid whose glasses would fall off his face, face all the time. And he would just go and play piano. 
My heart. Oh. Yeah, he's a he's yeah. I I love his childhood. It's so, it's, it's like he was a lovable nerd. Like he he was so ostracized, but everybody liked him because he was really good at one thing. That one thing just turned so so dark so so quick. Um. So he was uh, see during the eighteen eighties, uh, Striabin would practice piano relentlessly, and despite him having very tiny hands, he was pretty fucking good at playing the piano. At some point, he ended up damaging his right hand. And his doctor said that he would never recover from it. But during his recovery, he wrote a large-scale masterpiece titled Piano Sonata Number no. 1 in F minor. He called it his cry against God and against fate. Oof. What a badass little kid. Holy shit. So I, I really want to get against God and against fate tattooed somewhere around me. That's such a badass quote. When Beethoven was going deaf and he could no longer hear his music, he was in a pretty rough place. Um, it, it's like it's like if I lost my right arm in my motorcycle accident and I wouldn't be able to, to, to draw anymore. That's basically the handicap that he did. But he couldn't hear his music. He couldn't hear what he was making. But he was so good at, at writing music that he could hear the notes in his head while he was writing. Ooh. So he didn't even need to hear it. He just knew that it sounded good. During that time, he was in a really dark place. So he would, he would, I, I, I have the letters. Um, Ariana, thank you so much if you're listening. I love you. But she gave me a, a, a book of his letters and uh, of Beethoven's letters. And one of his letters was to his cousin when, when he was just feeling so dis, um, depressed about not being able to hear his own music that he said that um, it would not, Holy destroy me i will seize fate by the throat which was basically like i'm not gonna let this kill me i'm gonna take control of that which the universe and god and and the world has given me and i will just i will fucking take control of it and despite it i'll i'll continue on and that's one of my favorite quotes and that's why i got it on my chest because it's it's one of the things i live by I'll, i'll buy you the book beethoven's a really cool dude and uh, Striabin, also very, very cool, somewhat. He's weird. Uh, <laughs> um, later in life, Striabin became interested in theosophy. Huh, fucking theosophy, man. <laughs> uh, it's a religion that was established in the United States during the 19th century, and it was founded by Russian immigrant Helena Blavatsky. And if you don't know anything about Helena Blavatsky, you should, because her teachings, it's the basis of many occult teachings and her ideas are are just roots that that ended up being rerouted and and diverged into other trees within the realm of the occult and helena blavatsky she can be an episode an episode like all on her own i like that i want to do one but i don't think that we could um the last podcast on the left which is one of my favorite podcasts they did a a four-part series on her, and it is fantastic. Ooh. Highly suggest that you listen to that. So good. I and I, I bought, I bought one of her books called Teachings, or, or yeah, it's te- Teachings on the Occult, which I gotta start reading after I'm done with uh, the hit, um, the holographic universe. I'm reading that right now. It's nice. pretty fucking good. The world's a hologram. Don't tell me this, please. <laughs> okay, never mind. All right, so um, anyway, Striabin ended up developing his own, I want to say, theories and belief. Uh, Wiki kind of titled it uh, mysticism. I don't think that's the right word for it. Like his own theory and beliefs of being an artist within reality, which is pretty much narrowed down to this one phrase. And this is the one thing that I, I can relate to him with. Because I've said it about myself, and I don't know if this makes me an egomaniac, but he said that I am God. Ooh. And it's, that's the one parallel. And I can understand it, because as an artist, your, your job is to create. And the whole deal with, with God is that she created the universe. And I do believe God is a woman, if there is a God. But it's... It's the idea that you're creating something from nothing. And every time that you you sit down at a table or, or a desk or a carpet or wherever you do your artwork, when you create something, you're 
you're channeling that one piece of God that is that is connected to the universe and you and you're making something you're you're playing god and i say it all the time because i believe that it's true like everybody who creates is god i i really relate to that that's one thing that i can agree with him on holy mama like when you put it like that yeah absolutely like i that makes a lot of sense that spoke to me i don't know if that's me being a like a big-headed piece of shit but just know I do believe I am God. And if you make things, whether it be music or art or dance, you are also God. And I hope that you use that title to spread good and not the bad. So Alexander Scriabin took his theories and beliefs and the role of an artist pretty seriously. So much so that he wanted to play a week-long concert in the Himalayan mountains that involved the light show and scents and sex and dancing and his own music that would have ushered in the apocalypse. Whoa. And it would have enveloped the world in a sensory ecstasy until we all ceased to exist. I am it was okay pretty with fucking that. Oh wow. Yeah, it's pretty badass. The unfinished piece was titled Mysterium. So Alexander gave his final concert on April 2nd, 1915 in St. Petersburg, Russia. Uh, critics said that his eyes flashed fire and his face radiated happiness. Alexander himself wrote that during his performance, he completely forgot that he was playing in front of people. And that sort of happiness never comes to him when he's on the platform. He returned to his apartment in Moscow on April 4th and by April 14th 1915 at the age of 43 Scriabin would be dead of blood poisoning <gasps> no fucking ghosts in his blood dude oh, he should have done some cocaine about it <laughs> oh man he, he fucking should have but with this crazy motherfucker I don't think that would have been good hmm or it could have made made it better, maybe. You got a point. <laughs> <laughs> that that could have been that one push to finish his uh, to finish his mysterium. That 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 was another thing. Um, just like uh, Tartini and Paganini, really didn't date any of his pieces, and he had a bunch that were unfinished. It's you know maybe if he did cocaine about it, would have given him the the drive to kind of write stuff down and finish. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, cocaine. The Adderall adults. Anyway, after his death in, uh, in the 1930s, his music was banned by the BBC director slash conductor uh, Adrian Bolt. Uh, it said that Striabin's music was too evil, further proving that Striabin was punk rock as fuck. You know, despite the fact that it wasn't necessarily a direct deal with the devil that he made just his story and his belief or his theories of the role of an artist and the fact that he wanted to usher in the apocalypse. That's yeah, that's pretty on par for, for what the, this episode's about. It's, it's pretty it's mysterious. It's dark. I like it. That's what you want. You want, you want the confidence of a uh, very ego maniacal composer such as Alex Griabin. I want that. I want that confidence. I strive for that too. I, like, damn. I need it. I'm going to wake up every day and say, I am God. I wonder how much trouble I can get in. I, I would. That's a cool little experiment. Like you tell yourself that every morning and see the outcome throughout your day or compare it Let, to like last week. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm down. Anybody who's listening to you fucking do it. You wake up every morning. And, and you say to yourself, I am God. 
believe it with all your heart and soul and see what happens. And let us know. Feedback is awesome. But do not follow the Lord giveth, the government taketh away approach where you're just like being a dick about it. That's bad. And if you confess your like murder sins to me, I'm going to report you to the police. Yeah, because that's that's bad. That's illegal. <laughs> Murder's bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Murder's bad, okay. You, you shouldn't kill people, okay? Because that's bad. <laughs> okay, murder's bad, okay? <laughs> that's really good. Thank you. You do a very good, Mr. Mackey. Goddamn. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, if there's one thing that I learned during this entire episode, it's you do a fantastic Mr. Mackey. 10 out of 10 do approve. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would also recommend doing again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, is that it or do you have one more? Um, I am all out. Well, goddamn. That's the end. Oh, but actually, before we leave, I did one thing on Jimi Hendrix, and it's 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 just it's a it's a snippet from an interview with uh, one of his girlfriends uh, that he had for years. Uh, it was her name is Faye Pri- Priggin, uh, Fane Priggin, weird name. She shared she shared her worries about Jimi Hendrix, and she said, "quote He used to always talk about some devil." Something was in him, and he didn't have any control over it. He didn't know what made him act the way he acted and what made him say the things he said, and songs and different things like that just came out of him. It seems like to me he was so tormented and so torn apart. He really was. He talked about us going down to Georgia and obsessed with something really evil, having some root lady drive his demon out of him. And a root lady is someone who does voodoo. Ooh. Yeah, that's uh, that's the last thing I have about Jimi Hendrix. He died September 18th, 1970 at the age of 27. Ooh, at 27 uh, Club. Choked on his own vomit. Ah, that is... What a way to go. Yikes. Well, that's it. Um, <laughs> ending, ending it on a sad note. If you like Jimi Hendrix, go listen to Voodoo Child because, oh boy, was he a voodoo child. I'm I'm glad I got to uh, do research on these people that I love so much. I learned a lot today. I learned about uh, Robert Johnson. I had no idea who he was until I looked to him. So I'm glad this happened as well. Listen to his music. Right Everybody. after. I, uh... Okay, that's it. I'm ending <laughs> it. All right. So, uh, guys, go ahead. Follow another strange podcast on facebook yeah sure i gotta get that facebook up and running again follow at blind liberty art collective collective with the k underscore between each of those words on instagram and uh kitty anything to plug not yet i know i said last time i would plug something this episode but i'm it's still a work in pro- progress so no mm. <laughs> not yet mm. <laughs> but updates will be soon so Perfect. Perfect. Well, uh, <laughs> it's been great. And uh, bye. Bye.